Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another very exciting edition of One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, are you ready for this episode? Oh, please, son. I'm fucking ready for this episode. Believe me. I'm Jason, ready to be heard. You have been you have been the happiest I think I have ever heard you this week. And it just warms the cockles of my heart to find out that you know, the events of this past week have just brought such joy into your life and that uh, you are just a, a box of fluffy ducks, sir. Yeah, well, let's hope these fluffy ducks doesn't get us pretty much fucking kicked off platforms tonight. What? <clears throat> yeah, you heard me. Just fucking continue. Well, uh, Jason, I just I just had to uh, to start things off. I, I, we always tell you're in a wonderful mood when you refer to me as son. That is always a good giveaway that uh, that that you are just in your happy place. Shut the fuck up. What do we have to discuss today, Dave? I don't know. First of all, do we got any feedback, Jason? Yes, we do. Uh, if the statistics are right, you know, uh, we <laughs> they may not be this week. Put a fucking uh, bucket of gasoline into the computer and looked at the smoke signals. Thank you very much, Paris, France, for being our number one city. The highest listenership is in Paris, France, and we have other cities around you now that I cannot pronounce the name, even though I took two years of French. So I am terribly sorry about that, but uh, goddamn, Dave, are we a hit in France. And uh, then I'd also like to thank the Midwest, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, Wichita, Kansas, they love us. Uh, and of course, we always got our lovely hometown of Los Angeles, California, and New Orleans that uh, they're, they're, they love us too down there. Kind of a newcomer to the top five. So thank you very much for listening to. We really appreciate you there. So, uh, but yeah, once again, not just our top, it's, it's not the top city in the, U, the US, it's uh, the top city of all of our listeners. Top listenership is Paris. So thank you very much, Paris. We really do appreciate you how did china rank this week well i don't know maybe uh we'll find out uh, maybe we should start speaking mandarin <laughs> i've heard there's good places you can learn how to do that yeah me fucking too <laughs> i'm ready to get into the goddamn dumpster fire fuck this feedback shit okay well, I'm, I'm still oh. waiting for you to thank potomatic jason because i was sure that was coming hello so let's get into some other feedback uh, that we have received. Apparently, there's uh, a lot of the dozens out there that are terrified for not only us, but themselves for being contributors to the show or just platinum listeners that we now have a wonderful international community in Saudi Arabia that's listening to us. Uh, a lot of people were terrified as if we're under attack or something of this nature. Uh, but I, I can assure you that I am glad that our 9-11 and Saudi Arabia episode is doing so fucking well. It is now in our top five most listened to episodes of all time. And we just released it, what, three weeks ago or some shit. Um I would assume it, around 9-11, Jason. I, right beforehand, for, you know, right before we got to Patriots Day. <laughs> Patriots Day, hey. Um, but we we are doing very well with this episode. It is getting a lot of attention, and I that really warms my non-existent heart because it is something that's been on my mind for a long fucking time, and uh, I think we did it. I think we did it justice that episode. And if whether it's the government, the, the hopefully the the royal family uh, that is giving uh, more money to Vince McMahon than God is listening to the episode, but I hope the Saudi 
honestly just the civilians. This is something that they're allowed to listen to because I'm very proud of that episode. And had I known it was going to shoot to our top five uh, insta-fucking-matically, I definitely, I think we should have called it, you know, Saudi Arabia paid for 9-11 or 9-11 sponsored by Saudi Arabia. I would have wanted a more hardcore uh, title than, than even we gave it, but I am very happy it's being listened to and I hope it continues to enlighten uh, people, hopefully around the world, about our opinion, specifically mine, on how this this shit went down. So I'm very proud of that episode, and I'm glad it's doing very well. And I'm also glad that uh, the Saudis are now part of our international community. Welcome. And if you could, could you just maybe calm down on the Twitter feed a little bit and give it back to us? But if not, it's fine. Put on whatever. It's good publicity for us. That's worked out really well for us, too. You know, Jason's hideout's getting a nice little bump. So, hey, thank you, Saudi Arabia. We really appreciate your interest in what we do here on One Day Closer to Dead. This is where you're going to thank Potomatic, right? You're saving it for now. For their help in our fifth most listened to episode ever. And then further feedback is that people chimed in on how Dave would comment on his la- on the last episode of um, tribalism and the need for people to invent an other, an evil adversary in order for them to be the hero of their story. And what was interesting about last episode is that um, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was one of our greatest, but goddamn, you how guys did. You, you people. You, sir. You people thought it was fucking great. We have gotten so many fucking listeners to that show that uh, it is uh, highly impressive. And we started it off with the, you know, where does the the responsibility to your fellow man end and, you know, your personal freedom pick up? And wh- where's the balance on the two? And um, you guys really listen to that a lot. But what's interesting is so many people commented not on today's i guess that debate when it comes to the vaccination which obviously we were drawing comparisons to and highlighting uh, those who don't want to be vaccinated because it violates their quote-unquote motherfucking freedom and those who are doing the right fucking thing by being vaccinated and wearing masks social distancing you know shit like that to keep us all alive and more people in the in the comments back to us and the feedback uh, the dozens commented more on the fact when you started delving into the tribalism and being like, people need to be the hero of their own fucking story. And when I went down my that fucking history wormhole that I love history so much, that's what people responded to is the fact that so many people came back and said, this is awesome. This is a great philosophical fucking self-evaluation debate slash conversation slash topic. But we have gone so far you know, and the pendulum swing has gone so far back and forth uh, in in the United States of free enterprise that we are never breaking out of the gang warfare we're in. So there was a lot of like, I guess, pragmatic, realistic defeatism or something in the comments, but they really liked that whole, you know, philosophical, let's take a look at ourselves in the mirror uh, um, dialogue. So very cool. And I thank you for that, guys, because we just live, thrive, and survive off your feedback, your comments, and 
where we go with this this program and we love it so thank you and also thank you for listening because the last couple shows are some of the best we've ever done no thanks to a lot of fucking people but thank you very fucking much that we broke through on that so well yeah we, some of our, our our wonderful feedback dave well we know spotify sure loved the last episode Hello, and then, Jason, and, are you and, there? Then, and then finally, um, we were t- uh, several people. It was Jobaka that really alerted me. But after that, many people did that. The WB and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Dave. The WB is now using uh, AI um, for something other than, you know, possibly, I don't know, like the how we've talked about it in the past, which a lot of our listeners are really dialed into this. And not not just for film and making up characters or, or bringing you know let's say Orson Welles back from the dead and now he's Unicron again or something, but um, they're now using AI in this program or this company called Cinelytic. Cinelytic, and Cinelytic is an AI program that WB will be worshiping uh, like a bunch of primitives uh, bowing down to uh, Skynet and Cinelytic will now be in charge of figuring out what stars are going to be in what kind of movies with what kind of budget and where it will most be shown in the world to maximize their profits. So when you talk about movies by numbers, stories by numbers, uh, motion pictures by numbers, uh, it has finally fucking culminated in the, the entertainment Skynet coming to the WB and uh, that is pretty much what's going to be in charge of the formulation of your entertainment from that company. And I'm sure all others soon to follow Cinelytic. Have you heard about it? What do you know about it, Dave? Uh, I haven't heard of that specific term or the, or its relationship to Warner brothers, but I will say that's nothing new in the sense that they're trying to, I believe, follow the, the model that Netflix had been basing things off of for an extended period of time. When Netflix first started getting into, uh, more original content, one of the first series that they really put their weight behind was house of cards. Now that was something that was pitched to them. That was something that, uh, you know, Spacey and, um, um, God damn it, the fucking director. You know who I'm talking about. Well, if you don't, look it up. That that creative team was uh, was Fincher, maybe, was pitching around. Um, and then Netflix was the one that, that picked it up and greenlit it. But the reason Netflix picked it up and greenlit it was because Netflix had their own analytics models about who their audience is and also what their audience wants to see. So when they were pitched a show that was politically based, that had these stars in it, and that's why they greenlit the whole thing without needing to see a pilot, was because they had an analytics model that told them that that would be profitable for their specific platform. So it's something Netflix has been in the business of doing for years. So I just think now that major movie studios are probably playing catch-up, especially as streaming has become a bigger and bigger distribution platform. Absolutely. they, They also said that Cinelytic... The, which I believe is the name of the company slash program that WB is using uh, is also going to dictate how much pay the stars get, uh, how big the budget is. But, they, you know, the, how I think it was the Hollywood Reporter or Variety, one of the two, that did the real big time uh, article on it uh, in this last week uh, said, you know, this is basically what studios have been doing for decades, but there's been a lot of in their gut thinking, you know, 
human thinking. Who, who'd have thunk it? That they they sit around a table and they say, you know, the bean counters are the ones that come up with the movies, particularly with the major motion pictures. Well, now it's just, you know, they can't be bothered with that. And they've realized that computer, um, you know, analytics are coming up with just better models of what's going to make the most money. Uh, and so that's just the way it is. And um, I think that it's interesting that this is where it's come to. And they're like, well, this frees up the studio from really thinking about the budget, how many people, blah, blah, blah. And you, I just shake my head like, any, you know, this is proof positive that in, in a creative endeavor, in the creative arts, if you will, it, it you know, th there's no hiding it anymore. It is just a motherfucking business. And they're, they're trying to figure out, a computer is going to figure out the amusement park ride that's going to make them the most money. And it's just, I don't know, it's fucking amazing to me. Well, that's not going to always work when the rubber meets the road because you still need uh, human interaction to greenlight all of those things, i.e. doesn't matter what the analytics say the budget of a project should be if your union contracts will not meet that out. And this is something, Jason, you and I weren't going to talk about on the air, and I still don't think we need to quite yet, but it looks like um, IATSE, which is essentially the crew members union, covers you know hair, makeup, uh, I believe gaffers and grips, like a, a, a whole gamut of... Um, you know, different crew positions across the board that, that get TV and, and film made. Uh, there's currently been an ongoing negotiation that is, at the moment, as of this recording, fallen through to where that, that union may call for a nationwide strike. Uh, and same thing, like a, a computer program could say, we want Tom Cruise to star in this movie, but we only want to pay him, you know, $7 million. Ain't going to matter unless, you know, Cruise's agent and Cruise himself signs off on it. So there's... There is certain. There's still going to be a lot of negotiation that has to be done in order to actually meet the schedule and meet the budget requirements and actually get something done in the dollar amount that this computer program thinks is, you know, feasible. Well, absolutely. Uh, Tom Cruise's fucking robot can talk to the WB robot that can get back to the director robot, and you know, pretty soon it's all going to be done somewhere in a computer anyway. And we're not even going to need people for our entertainment. This is going to be fucking amazing. I can't wait fifty years from now where I just tell my goddamn whatever's in my head chip and just say I want to see a action film with some gunfare with Marlon Brando versus Harrison Ford in the nineteen seventies. It's kind of a love story at the end, but all of a sudden predator enters make it fucking happen it's just going to be a good time for entertainment and this is the beginning of it right now so yay well i think we're already seeing the beginning of that anyway because for example i think it might have been apple's analytics that suggested that our audience wanted to know how to learn mandarin hello jason are you there hello i'm still fucking here i'm still here okay see i asked you if you were ready earlier and you you overwhelmingly Bitch, i said am yes. fucking ready I am ready. I'm just, you've got a goddamn racehorse that's just fucking filled with equipoise and just ready to goddamn go. So you know what you're doing. You always do. You sadistic son of a bitch. What? Any other feedback to go over, Jason? No, that's about it. But thank you very much, guys. We love all the articles you sent. And God damn, did you send a reading list this month or this last week? You really did. Well, the whole month. But this last, this last week, week felt like a month. I'll it put it did. that way. I'm just letting you know, guys. Thank you so much because you, you really do send. 
a lot of stuff to us now uh, for us to talk about. And some of it really catches our eye. And uh, all of those things I commented on uh, truly do. So, yeah, thank you very much. Continue to do so because I, I thought it was fascinating that so many people did comment on this uh, Synalytics uh, because obviously back in the day, about a year, about a year and a half ago, I think we talked about sort of the AI introduction into entertainment and how that affected things going forward. God damn, that show was a hit. And then it obviously stuck in the minds of a lot of our, our listeners. So they, this is something that's never gone away. They like to talk about and hear about and know about how the entertainment industry is changing through technology. So thank you guys. We appreciate that. Well, in that case, I would encourage the dozens to then do their own research on this ongoing uh, IATSE, A-I-A-T-S-E. Is, I, I, forget, I always forget what it fully stands for, but it's I like never inter- knew. International Association of Theater. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fuck up the name, folks. I'm sorry. All, all, anyway. the, all the people that really do a hard day's work in Hollywood. Yes. Absolutely. So anyway, that is an ongoing issue. So if you're interested in the entertainment industry, look that up. You will find plenty of reading material about the the current uh, state of things, and that is an ongoing, evolving situation as well. I also will say, Jason, I know um, at least one of the dozens, if not multiple, had sent in um, an article or wanted our opinion on the the ongoing possible financial crisis emanating from China. Mm-hmm. Uh, not something that we plan on talking about this week, but I it's something I think we both have an eye on, and it's something that we may have a lot more to to speak of, you know, in the weeks to come, depending on depending on how this all kind of <laughs> depending on how this plays out. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I appreciate you remembering that because, like I said, we got so much articles from you guys on on where we need to take our eyes and put them on but we already did you know that's also something that that the the listeners out there the dozens they really pay attention to china and all the bullshittery that is going on both politically economically and and, and socially with with them as well so thank you very much for that article well i think we have itunes to thank for that jason jason are you there would you like to start the fucking dumpster fire the world is a fucking dumpster fire, Jason. I don't know if you knew. Oh, I fucking do. Did you know why? Because it truly fucking is. I'm just gonna go take a piss break or something. Jason, go ahead. Just take the microphone for the next couple minutes. Folks, it's been one motherfucking hell of a week. I'll tell you what. Um, For all of you wonderful dozens out there, who subscribe to One Day Closer to Dead on our number one platform, our heavyweight champion of directories, the people that have given us the most audience, Spotify. It's it's uh it's been kind of crazy behind the motherfucking scenes here at One Day Closer to Dead, and uh, I'm glad that uh, as of this recording, you're still able to listen to us and uh, hear a show that was released six fucking days ago. Six fucking days ago, we had this wonderful conversation that we alluded to earlier in the show that probably I don't know at least. A third of our audience has yet to hear. Okay. Uh, it all started last week 
As you know, uh, it is Thirsty Thursday. A lot of you wait till Thursday to listen to One Day Closer to Dead. It releases in the afternoon. We do our very best to make sure this happens. Thank Dave Beaudry for that, that this happens every Thursday. We try not to let you guys down, but we sure as fuck hear it when we do. Uh, and we really try to get that broadcast out. One of the side little hobby job duty things that I have uh, with the only two members of One Day Closer to Dead is to sort of casually make sure that our show has been properly imported, dropped, whatever you want to call it, but shown on these different directory platform, whatever you want to call it, like iHeartRadio or, or, you know, Apple Podcasts or, or, you know, what, whatever have you, Audible, Google. I make sure, just casually make it sure, okay, yeah, this, this all went according to plan and yay. We, our host site is Podomatic and Podomatic we've been with for over two years now. Yes, over two years. So the thing is that uh, we've been fairly happy with them, uh, you know, and a lot of you have given us feedback on how you're not, but this, we are loyal to, to this, this company because this is what, you know, we started with and this is what we'd like to stay with, um, honestly, okay? Uh, we have a lot of vested interest in keeping the momentum going with a specific platform. So, you have to have a fucker for all you motherfuckers out there that aren't casters, aren't podcasters, which is most of you. Um, you have to have a host site. You have to have some motherfucker that says you can come here and we will publish your site. Okay. Spotify is not one that does that. You, they are someone that picks up podcasts and shoots them all over the world with great distribution, <clears throat> but they unless are not, you're Joe, unless you're Joe Rogan. Get the fuck out of here. I'm just so, saying, they, they have an exclusive deal with Joe they Rogan. Have a, they have an exclusive deal, yes, with like Michelle Obama and Joe Rogan. Yes, sorry we're not in that class yet. Give us a couple weeks. At any rate, so I'm going through, we released this wonderful fucking podcast. Of course, we're geniuses. <laughs> Every week we give you more of our goddamn genius. More me than Dave. But we released this last week and I'm like, okay, let's just do the routine, blah, blah, blah. And the first people that always just, you know, distribute our show is Spotify. I mean, they're as good as motherfucking gold to us. They were, they're our best platform. They've treated us the best. We look the best. We seem the best. I mean, it's almost like at the beginning of this podcast, it really was. And we still, I don't think have quote unquote made it. You know what I mean? Like where we want to go. And this is just honest talk. Okay. But it was the first people that made us look like we fucking had, if that makes any sense. And we just, it was stellar, everything they did for us. And for whatever reason, our episode was on Spotify. It was on all these other iHeart and iTunes and iEverything. It was on there, but not Spotify, which is like, in my opinion, the Madison Square Garden for professional wrestlers. You want to be in that arena. You want to be in Spotify. Well, we'll talk about iTunes in a moment, but continue. And it wasn't happening. And I was like, well, that's bizarre. That's kind of weird. And they were also a few, I guess about a month ago, maybe a little over. It was after the, it was after the rapist episode that specifically dealt with Dr. Cosby. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. Um, 
we that was the first episode that got us the E rating on Spotify for explicit. So I mean, like I said, we're as fucking cool as two live crew now. I loved it. Uh, I was wait. I was like, what took you so goddamn long? So we we got the E, and I was thinking, well, did we touch on something that Spotify doesn't want to? promote you know promote or maybe they're just taking now that we got that explicit rating maybe they're taking their time reviewing the episode before it gets shown you know but i was like well it's no big deal god god damn we've said worse and done worse on on previous episodes than this so no big Speak deal. for yourself jason continue <clears throat> yeah you get worse every day pal at What's- any rate i was like okay so no big deal the next day it's on every fucking platform out there except Spotify. So I'm like, well, this is fucking weird. Now because- to also, sorry, Jason, but to also give, give context, I think at this point, cause this, this was happening concurrently. I think now we should at least mention the, the iTunes situation. Cause it was when the two were in conjunction with each other that really made it seem fucking weird. <laughs> so that's exactly right. Many of you listeners out there started to send me screenshots of your phone uh, or your car, Siri, or whatever the fuck it is that everyone has in their car. I don't have. I pretty much have a goddamn tape deck. But um, they're showing me pictures of our, um, I guess, the photo art that accompanies your podcast, which for a lot of goddamn platforms, this is like a huge fucking thing for them. It's a bigger deal than you would think it would be, folks. And that's why we went. We had kind of a, some headaches with iTunes at the beginning of the launch of our cast. Okay. So a lot of you were sending these fucking screenshots and clear as day. It wasn't an advert. At first I thought it was an advertisement and I was like, well, big fucking deal. It's an advertisement. Then you guys out there were alerting me that no, 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 no. This is your cover art. This is the podcast artwork. Your logo usually is here of the cool, you know, emoji and the pissed off emoji. Well, folks, I started really looking like that pissed off emoji. After a while, I was like, what the fuck is going on? This well, what art, was the, what the was the art, picture, Jason? The artwork was this green box and it was said, learn Mandarin and like simply an easy way to learn Mandarin. It's a beautiful little Chinese woman that's holding up a book or some fucking thing. And maybe it's an accordion. I was so pissed. I couldn't tell. And it was just, you know, saying like, Hey, listen to this podcast to learn Mandarin. There's a lot of things you can listen to our show for learning. Mandarin would not be one of them. Maybe how to piss, be pissed off at, at government officials who primarily speak Mandarin. You might be on to something, but that was the artwork that was specifically given to us one day closer to dead on iTunes podcast or what you would call Apple podcast. Now I'm not really quite fucking sure the difference, honestly, but you guys were right because I, I, I was going back with you guys saying, hey, that's just an advertisement. And then you guys like, no, you fucking technical, you know, illiterate fucking moron. This is your artwork. It's not right, Jason. And I was like, uh, and that, and that was just, that just came from me. Yeah. It, it came from my mom. So the thing is, I was just like, wow, they're, they're right. This is all completely fucked up. So Spotify's not playing us. We got Learn Mandarin over here in iTunes. So now I'm like, something's gone completely psychotically wrong. And I start contacting Dave. Like, Dave, we got a problem. They're not playing us at Spotify anymore, I guess. 
And that's a big fucking deal for casters, believe it or not. And for some reason on, at the time, I didn't know it was just iTunes. There are platforms that show that we're teaching Mandarin here on our show. Which if that was a hack, I had to say, like... It was clever. It was clever, at least. Mm -hmm. But um, so anyway, on my end, I looked into the Potomatic side of things, which is where all of our you know stuff typically is is seated, and there was no sign of said photo or or anything that would have affected it. So it was an iTunes specific issue, nothing related to our actual uh, posted content. That's exactly right. But this was all a mystery to us as it was fucking unfolding. And so I was like, okay, well, let's just let's just wait. Maybe I don't know something. I don't know. So then another day went by, still nothing, nothing being played on Spotify. Patience is not always a a virtue of Mr. Bailey. Let me express that to the dozens who don't know. And this is me after decades of learning how to be calm. Can you fucking imagine me 20 years ago? Holy shit. Thank God I never got into cocaine. I did get into bourbon. Bourbon and cocaine would have been a great mix, but Nevertheless, I'm telling you that at this point, I was pissed. Something I knew was going wrong. So I started contacting Potomac like, hey, yo, what's going on? And they were sending some things on their their actual website or host website saying, yo, there is an issue. The RSS feed, which is it is the almighty feed that they need in every single platform. What gets you connected from your host site to distribution sites? And I said, there's been an issue with Spotify. And for only 1% of you out there, there has been some icon imagery problems. Uh, so guess who the one motherfucking percent was, folks? Well, you're listening to them. And it just went on. And it, it just reeked of they've been hacked to me. Okay. But... Because, you know, I'm pretty close with Joe Baca. I'm also got that question Rorschach paranoia shit going on too. And I thought, well, they're after us now. They finally, they're finally done with us out there. And the they, Dave, well, shit, who the fuck knows? It could be the Saudis. It could be the Chinese. It could be the Magas. It could be the Borg, the Klingons. It could be anyone who hung around Dr. Cosby. We have pissed off so many people out there. I wouldn't even know where the enemy list fucking ends. So I was like, well, this is it. Here comes the revenge. And we've pissed off so many people, probably in high end Chinese government official humans that, hey, My fucking hat is off to you folks if you're the ones that actually put that Learn Mandarin icon up for us in iTunes. I mean, that's some... Jason Bailey couldn't have figured this out better. Well, I could have, but I mean, that's some good Noid to Domino's Pizza bullshittery. So think whoever did that, I mean, you got to give them credit. That's some Roddy Piper type deviance there. Good job. But it had been a nightmare. And so back and forth, Dave's sending them messages. I'm sending uh, Potomatic messages. And one of those messages is infinitely more polite than the other. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, I do try to be as cordial as possible, folks. I can't speak for Dave. But the thing is that actually they were coming back with, it'll be fixed in 24 to 48 hours. Don't worry. Everything's fine. It's just perfect. And then I finally, they must have just had a goddamn enough of me specifically because they sent back a letter to us. It's like, this is not our problem. 
They should have put asshole because it was me. And they said, this is a Spotify problem. So now they're they're pointing fingers. We have pissed them off to the point. They want a bad guy in their story. So their ego started pointing towards Spotify. That's all the vanilla Godzilla needed. So I rose from the Pacific and went to Spotify immediately like, what the fuck? Atomic breath was spewing. I contacted them today started reestablishing contact with those people over there. And I love Spotify, but Jesus Christ, let's get this show up and running, folks. Come on now. And so after dealing with them for a few hours today, I just threw up my hands and went, that's it. It's all I can do. I have contacted everybody I can fucking contact. I've reestablished contact. I've resent our RSSP. I've done everything I can do other he, than just going to wherever Spotify headquarters are and teaching them Mandarin. I sent, did it all. He sent a personal apology to the Chinese government. No, I did not. So <laughs> at, at any rate, I can tell you this, that about three hours, maybe two... <laughs> before this recording finally we are large and in charge again on spotify and i want to apologize to all those sweet people at podomatic that i have terrorized i think you're all great people we love being part of your your site at least until our dues end that we're dealing with you and no. i just want to tell you thank you so much for putting up with my craziness because i was losing my mind and for spotify out there i want to say you're awesome this is great. It's good to be back with you. But uh, it was some harrowing moments because I know for a fact that when this drops tomorrow, most likely, this episode, it's going to be like a twofer. I mean, honestly, there's 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 going to be an audience out there that get pretty much the two for one special. It's you're assuming like this. You assuming this ends up on Spotify tomorrow. I, I I am assuming a great deal. You're right, but I can tell you that today was a lot of reestablishing our contacts with Spotify, which you're. They're still fucking stellar. And it was, I don't know if it was, to this, I don't know if it was a technical issue. I don't know if it was a, I don't know what kind of issue it was, but for well, six, six fucking days, there's been a real goddamn problem here. Well, Spotify, which is interesting with Podomatic trying to throw them under the bus, is that Spotify didn't have anything to do with the the image on iTunes showing up as a Teach Mandarin ad. Like, that's clearly, that has nothing to do with Spotify, and the fact that those two things happened at the same time would suggest that uh, there is more more going on there than meets the eye on Podomatic's end, though it, the image didn't come from Podomatic, at least not that mm-hmm. I saw. No, I, I know. I mean, I... I I have no fucking clue, but I can tell you that the everyone that I dealt with at uh, Spotify today did a great job of getting things back on track on their end. So honestly, we're back on. For all of you people that listen to us through Spotify, congratulations. You now have like, you know, three hours of fucking content or something where usually you only have one episode. We did not miss our drop date last week. It just was never played. And, um, it was very interesting, but, and, and what's weird, cause I'm going to give like a kind of a, I don't know if it's a backhanded compliment or a backhanded insult. That's probably a backhanded insult. Let's just say it's a backhand and go from there. It's a fucking backhand. Um, if this had happened with any other platform, I don't think I'd give a shit. I think I'd just be like, well, golly gee, you win some, you lose some. Hopefully they figure it out. But Spotify fucking matters. 
It really does. And that was, that was the issue is like, you know, it'd be like being a champion wrestler and you're at the bet you're, you know, you're at prime form. You're, you're in rare form. You're in the best you're ever going to be. And then the booker says, now nah, you ain't working the garden. And you're like, yeah, I'm fucking sorry. And that's sort of what it's like is like that, you know, that's how much, uh, we value Spotify that if we weren't on there, uh, it would, it'd be a different, uh, a different story. They certainly get us to so many people around the world and, uh, they're making their name almost by their future in podcasts. I was, and I'm glad to be at, at the very, you know, base of it, the foundation of, of what's happening there, uh, because some, some podcasts, um, platforms really have only interest, I think, in a lot of celebrities or corporate shit. And I'm, and I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. It's just, it, it is what it is where Spotify has always, even though they've got the heavyweights like Joe Rogan, Michelle Obama, things like this, they have, they're really, really good to, to up and coming podcasters of people in the first few years of their show, helping them out and, and spotlighting them. So to reestablish with them today and they've, they've got us recategorized. They've got us, they're going to promote us in a different way. It almost was weird to think that this tragedy that happened this last week has uh, strengthened our ties with Spotify. So I guess everything happens for a reason, Dave. Well, if you were going to use a wrestling analogy, Jason, I would say it would be as if you were one of the best wrestlers in the world at the top of your game, your promo was great, and then in modern day, you found yourself under contract to WWE. Yeah. It would almost be like that. Oh, that that just fucking sucked, dude. I mean, that's just not what, that's not where you want to take your career. You know, you... We got big problems if that's your if that's your career trajectory. Absolutely. Speaking of WWE, Jason, I don't know if you knew this, but childhood is dead. Oh, I certainly fucking did. Did you know why? Be- I, where Where do you want me to start with this one? That's not part of the gimmick. Because, what, do you want me, what, you want me to say because Ric Flair is not really a hero anymore? Where do you want to go with that one? Well, I mean, Ric Flair was already always marketing himself as a villain. We just didn't quite know how villainous that necessarily got. But uh, there was an episode. We have talked about Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, this kind of encompasses both segments two and three today. But uh, we've talked about Dark Side of the Ring in the past. We talked about specifically, I know, the episode focusing on uh, the childhood of Jake Roberts as well as his evil father and and his family. Uh, we have talked about, what are some of the other, we mentioned Dynamite Kid in the episode they did on him. There was an episode that aired uh, this past week that honestly, when I heard it was in the lineup, I didn't think there would be a lot of like new revelations about it because it's been a story that circulated over you know 20 years. And that was a story known as the plane ride from hell. Now, for those who don't know, that was a plane ride that was fairly infamous from England to the United States where a lot of WWE wrestlers got fucking wasted and then acted inappropriately on the plane. Uh, some got fired, Mr. Perfect. Some got fined, uh, Dustin Rhodes. And others uh, had nothing happen to them whatsoever, Ric Flair. And we have... So I was expecting this episode would be interesting, but I didn't think... I was not expecting the level of fallout to happen in the aftermath as there has been. And it's a credit to 
um, the dark side of the ring people. And it's a credit to the people that's, well, most of the people that spoke on camera about the incident. Uh, there is one glaring exception to that. We'll talk about in a moment, um, for, for being as candid as they were, especially, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the lady, but especially the flight attendant who was, was harassed horribly, uh, in said flight, who spoke publicly, I believe for the first time. Um, she, was a very credible uh, witness and I think added a lot of weight to this story. But the fallout has been immediate and it has been sustained and I don't think we've seen the end of it yet. So uh, I figure we would take a moment to discuss, give a brief rundown of said incident for those that don't know and then talk about the fallout of what has happened since this episode aired for those that don't know and kind of what it means possibly for the future uh, for those that don't know. So there's a lot to cover for those that don't know, Jason. Absolutely. I agree. Um, let me just give a, a quick rundown on this, uh, ladies and gentlemen out there, is that this is the plane ride from hell is inside, you know, the wrestling universe, the all the marks such as Dave and me, all the Uber fans, we've known about this ever since it fucking happened. And there's been various accounts by various people uh, about this plane ride. And uh, there's so many goddamn incidents. I will try to run them, run down real quickly, all of them. Uh, but there, there's a few that are, we're definitely going to delve into a little bit more, but just to Let set it up for you. Can I say something very generally is also the way it's been presented over the years outside of there was a lawsuit that was filed from two of the flight attendants that were on this plane. It was a private plane. I know you're going to go into this, Jason, but just so we get this out of the way right away. It was a private plane that was chartered by WWF at the time or. Yeah, it was WWF, I think, at that time, to uh, to bring the crew back from the European tour back to the United States in time for the TV taping for Monday Night Raw. Uh, so. The stories thereof have always been presented as kind of like, you know, not necessarily the best decision making in the world, but kind of goofy boys will be boys, frat party kind of bullshit is generally outside of obviously the lawsuit that was filed, which you'd find more details in those court documents or by watching this episode. But in general, it's always been presented as that type of like just stupid juvenile debauchery. There is a much darker undertone to it. And that is what really, I think, got spotlighted more than what people were expecting going into the episode. Well, what's interesting about the episode, and I'm, I'm going to recount it just real quick, because I want you know most of the listeners out there who became wrestling fans through us, they became wrestling fans through us. So a lot of them don't know. We don't, I never want to take it for granted anymore that, well, you know, the plane ride from hell. A lot of you out there will not know what the fuck I'm talking about. But what's interesting about this is you will find this, I hope, interesting slash grotesque, even if you're not a wrestling fan, because this is, it's more than a wrestling uh, story, actually. Um, the, so, I think what's interesting is you're right. Vice has done a great job with this dark side of the ring. However, what I think's I underestimated it too, because everything they've covered, honestly, Dave, most of it, most of it, it involves a dead person. It seems like to me, either they're dead or they're just not around to defend themselves. Or it's a history lesson of something that happened where someone's dead. The reason I think, I underestimated this personally about how powerful this episode would be is all the participants other than let's say Kurt Hennig 
are alive. Everyone's still alive from this fucking plane ride. And there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of covering asses because what was, I mean, it's never been acceptable, but what you could get away with 19 years ago, you sure as fuck can't get away with now. And so you're seeing this quote unquote boys will be boys story in today's atmosphere and climate with all these motherfuckers still being available to be held accountable. And so I was like, I just absolutely, this episode flew under the radar, no pun intended, and here we are. So let me just give you a rundown real quick of the history behind it. Um, Back in, it was uh, 2002, early 2002, there's a European tour and WWF would always do a European tour a couple times a year. And these shows are huge because normally at that time in particular, they did not tour outside the United States as frequently as they do now. So if they came to Germany or Scotland, Ireland, England, what have you, the audience would be just fucking outrageous. They'd be huge attendance, lots of money they could charge uh, per ticket. And the fans would be riotous because They don't get to see their heroes they see on American television that was brought over, I believe, through Sky Network, but they get to see them all of a sudden here. So it was a European tour where WWF went over. They played in uh, Scotland. They did, I think, Ireland. They did Germany, something of this nature. But their final show was a pay-per-view. And in England, their pay-per-views are on mostly, most of the time on Saturdays, not Sundays. I don't know if that's an agreement between you know, England and the United States so they can, everyone can make money. I'm not sure, but it was a pay-per-view in England and it was called Insurrection. And, uh, it was, I believe May 5th of 2002, uh, or roundabout somewhere around there. Um, one of those days I might be off by a day, but anyway, uh, it was May 5th, 2002. They had just played uh, a huge show in England with all their top tier performers. I mean, it was a stacked, roster. Steve Austin was still dealing with them at the time, was still, you know, being toured around doing a stunner here or there. Uh, Brock Lesnar was on fire in the company. I mean, you know, you had a lot of top tier fucking people on this, uh, this plane. Anyway, because of the extensive, uh, the, the extensive touring that they did, uh, Vince McMahon, they, he rented out a private uh, plane, private jet to go back across the Atlantic uh, and get the boys back in style uh, because they had just had a grueling um, kind of schedule. So he got this private plane at the time and it's a luxury private jet. And so all the guys after the show went on there and they were going to fly back into, I believe it was Connecticut. But when they started to take off, they got a bad uh, weather advisory warning. So they're like, don't take off yet. So the plane sat on the tarmac for several hours, several hours, seven hours I for believe. seven, for seven hours. Now this, this jet, uh, the company, and I forget the name of the, the, the jet company, but it was one that was specifically used, uh, in the United States and in England, mainly for sports, uh, teams, whether it was soccer or football, whatever. Uh, and it, that's what they made their money doing. So they had a front of the plane, uh, where it was pretty much management coaches, things like that. And then the whole back of the plane, uh, and it was a full size jet. 
So this cost Vince a shit ton of money, but at the time he was making a shit ton of money. He at that time monopolized the entire wrestling universe. So they're sitting on the plane and it's a bunch of goddamn wrestlers. So you got like oversized steroided up carnies uh, that have just had an amazing show. They're exhausted, but you know, the adrenaline's still flowing and you get, you know, really wrestlers around alcohol. The alcohol is going to fucking disappear. Well, most planes, they have these little tiny, you know, airplane, airplane bottles of booze. This plane had the full-size motherfuckers on it, and they already went through three carts of full-size bottles of, you know, everything. Gin, bourbon, vodka, whatever you wanted, beer, on this plane. At the time, there was a lot of pill popping as well in combination, and the antics started pretty pretty good because they were already pretty jazzed up. They wanted to go home, there was nowhere to go, and you got wrestlers on a plane with alcohol. They were just in a goddamn tube, Drinking. Drinking okay. for seven hours before seven it even hours. goes into the air. Now the plane fucking takes off. Now Vince is on this plane, so is Jim Ross, so is Linda McMahon, if you can believe it or not. So you got the hierarchy of WWF, and it was WWF at the time, because they didn't change their name over to WWE until a week or two after this. Uh, so that's kind of bizarre, but that's Un- Unrelated, but funny timing. Yeah. It is funny fucking timing, yeah. They took off, and when they got up into you know the 30,000 feet, fucking you know cruising altitude the shit hit the fan big time and you just had a lot of bizarre fucking behavior well i guess it's not bizarre if you're all goddamn jazzed up at the time kurt hennig was still alive mr perfect and uh he was known for his shenanigans and started there's a lot of different variations of the story but in some way fucking with brock lesnar hey that's a great idea let's just poke and prod the incredible hulk while you're up in the air and uh some people say it's a shaving cream thing some people say he was just making fun of amateur wrestling what have you but brock would just not be the human being to deal with this and at the time brock lesnar readily admits he was on tons of vicodin and vodka he called the double v and so he was readily taking this up in the air and him and uh kurt henny got into a full on uh bourbon brawl up there just beating the shit out of each other on this plane and brock lesnar is damn near 300 pounds of all fucking muscle pushing kurt hang around which is not a small man either and they're beating against the fuselage and also the emergency door okay so there's a lot of craziness going on that could actually affect the plane that they had to get that goddamn thing under control and this just began the fucking night okay you had uh bradshaw who was out because he had got his head bashed in trying to get some sleep because he still had not really fully been medically you know taken care of and you had, who who was it? Was it Doc Hendricks? Michael Hayes, Michael Hayes, who got fucked up and they think that he actually had pills put in his drink, woke up in, out of this drugged stupor and started beating on Bradshaw. Bradshaw woke up and didn't know what to fucking do. So they finally got him to sit down. Quick, con- calm quick down. context. Quick context there. Bradshaw had been busted <clears throat> open at the insurrection pay-per-view. Um, I don't know if it was a blade job or if it was hard way. It sounded like it was hard way, but I'm sounded not sure. It sounded like it was hard way to me too. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not entirely sure. So whether he was drugged, drunk, both, uh, Hayes punched him right on the cut purposely to open him up. So Bradshaw, piece of shit, but did not, yeah. <laughs> did not, uh, evoke that. Um, nope. so he was understandably irritated. And then I don't know if, if, 
if uh, Hayes was was drugged, I don't know if it happened after that or if this was a result of it. It's a little unclear on those details. But anyway, yeah, he he passed out. So then um, someone took revenge on him. Absolutely. So after he passed out, everyone started chanting for, you know, X-Pac, Sean Waltman to do something. And Sean Waltman was already pissed off because he felt that he was being, you know, the Booker man, the pencil, uh, basically who writes your storylines was Michael Hayes and was burying him. Uh, this was a perfect opportunity for the boys to get back at management. And so X-Pac took some scissors out, pretended that they were brass knuckles, like he was tucking them in his tights and, uh, to, to great effect, pulled them out and cut off Michael Hayes's famed ponytail. Uh, yeah, the free bo- the free bird <laughs> ponytail went off and the, uh, and fucking the plane popped. It was an in-house pop where all the boys started laughing, joking, and just, it, it was amazing that they felt they got revenge against Michael Hayes for just, I don't know, having a flashback like he was still in the free birds back in Texas or some fucking thing. So X-Pac took the, the, the fucking hair of, uh, of uh, one Michael Hayes. I, I don't know if he's Michael Hayes or Doc Hendricks at the time. I have no fucking clue. So that's, we're just going through the antics here as we go along. Then you got fucking, you know, dust, Dustin Runnels or Dustin Rhodes. Okay. Who's gold dust who honestly, there's a couple stories by him this night. The big one that everyone talks about is him getting so fucked up that he takes over the PA system and starts singing a love song to his wife at the time, his Ter- ex-wife, Ter- ex-wife Terry Runnels, trying to win her back by singing some, I guess, country western song when everybody was trying to get some fucking sleep. And Jim Ross, and this is all because I love good old Jr. I fucking love him, but he doesn't seem like he did much to stop many of the fucking antics, which was his primary job on the plane. Although. Vince McMahon was seated right next to him and could have stood up and said, everyone's fired if you don't shut the fuck up. And that never fucking happened. Anyway, Jim Ross had to go and say, sit your ass down, dude. Like you're a fucking embarrassment. What's interesting about uh, Dustin Runnels or Dustin Rhodes, uh, Gold Dust, and I'll get into another story later, is that, you know, he also... He also is being accused legally. He was in the legal documents. This is not in the fucking Vice episode of also taking one of the flight attendants and telling them he was going to F her and holding her by her arms and physically exerting himself over one of the flight attendants. And just for reference, because we're going to get to them, the flight attendants are Heidi Doyle. This is She's the one who was interviewed. This is the one that was interviewed for the Vice episode. And then there was Tara Lynn Capilano or Capayano. I don't know how you pronounce the name. Forgive me. But Tara Lynn was the one that actually uh, started the lawsuit, which culminated in 2004 from this 2002 plane ride. Okay. And then um, Heidi Doyle was, became part of that lawsuit too. So those are the two flight attendants, all right? And the, it, it was a nightmare for these women, an absolute fucking nightmare. But yeah, Dustin Runnels was not on his best fucking behavior either. He claims he was intoxicated, drug abuse, blah, blah, fucking blah. What was interesting, and I'm sure you'll get to it, Jason, is uh, Heidi Doyle actually spoke well of him in the sense that you know, she said she was not as annoyed with him for taking over the PA and for all of that nonsense because he was the only one that stepped in to intervene between the incident with her and Ric Flair. 
That's right. And that's why I was going to, I'm going to get to that. I know. So I know. the thing is, I think that that was, I don't know if that was done for the narrative of the show. I don't, I'm not really sure, but I will get to that because that's really fucked up. Uh, that he did it. And and you can read it. The legal documents are on, you know, Dr. Google. You can fucking read that shit. But these women started to have to fucking serve these goddamn barbarians. And then the, not only were they on the tarmac for seven hours drinking, now the ride back from England to Connecticut is also seven hours. So now they're in the fucking sky with this shit too. And everyone's fucked up. Okay. The exchange rate of alcohol and drugs is at an all time fucking high here. And there's no escaping the wrestling barbarians for these, these poor women that and are drugs. dealing with it. Drugs. I mean, we'll get to that. Absolutely. So you got Scott Hall. I mean, what story about drunken insanity would be complete without Scott Hall? Scott Hall is on the plane too, and Scott Hall is completely fucked up. He claims that he was also drugged through his drink, but at one point, one of the stewardesses, I believe it was Heidi Doyle, actually yes, bent was. over to make sure to see if he needed a new drink or whatever the fuck he needed. Believe me, he probably needed a goddamn blood transfusion. And she leaned over to him, and Scott Hall grabbed her by her shirt, popping off buttons from her her blouse saying that he wanted to lick her body. I don't know if he licked her body or not. If he wanted to lick her, I don't know. But she couldn't get away from him until he passed out again from whatever the fuck was coursing through his veins. These poor fucking women. I mean, this is disgusting what happened to them, okay? Now, let's get down to the main event. Let's have the man walk the fucking aisle, literally, in his robe and nothing else. Ric Flair has done this shtick behind the scenes for fucking years and years and decades. And, and has and bragged about it himself. He even mentioned bragged it when about he, it. in Roddy's induction speech. Yeah, where he does this thing for the wrestling guys to make them laugh and probably just to make himself laugh or whatever the fuck, where he's, he's on a plane uh, and strips down to just his robe, takes every stitch of clothing off except his, you know, five thousand uh, dollar studded robe and you know jewel encrusted robe, and just starts walking the aisle like he was going to a wrestling main event. Then he starts doing a strip tease where he makes his penis twirl and do tricks. Um, and he's been doing this for, like I said, ever since the beginning of the Nature Boy shtick. And uh, it's always been portrayed in wrestling locker rooms or marks know about it as this funny, ha-ha, Ric Flair's a lunatic kind of thing. The reason that the Plane Ride from Hell episode from Vice, I think, really, really strikes a chord with people is because for the first time ever, you're hearing from non-wrestling people how that made them feel. And what ensues beyond that. So Ric Flair on the plane ride from hell starts doing that, strutting the aisle, stripped down to nothing but his robe, doing his penis dance like Chippendale something or another, and eventually makes his way all the way to the, the back of the plane with the, the galley of the plane where they get your drinks and your food and, and things like that, probably where the bathrooms would be located and, and, and things like that. And, you know, Heidi Doyle, who was the one interviewed for the Vice episode, said that he, I mean, you know, because you've been on airplanes out there uh, dozens, you, two people have to turn sideways, even on major planes, to get out of that area. 
Okay. Uh, she was back there and he walked right up. And even though the Ric Flair is smaller for a wrestler, he's still a big fucking man. Okay. At six, one, 240 pounds. And he's just standing in a, in a, a, you know, a stewardess's way. She couldn't get away from him. He's naked. He's showing his dick and he's twirling around and shit. And then takes her hand and wants her to grope him, to touch his penis. Allegedly. Allegedly. This is what, you know, she is saying, okay, very credible in her story. Yes, I and, agree. and legally, this has already been settled out of court. So obviously the WWE didn't want to take this any further than it had to. Uh, there was a very specific witness in Rob Van Dam. This is not alleged. I can say he says he saw this. Rob he, Van Dam says he, he saw has this. walked that back slightly. What he has said uh, in the since the episode aired was that he saw Flair, um, you know, back there r- with only the robe on. He specifically kind of joked he did not see Ric Flair's dick, nor did he need to. Um, he said he did not see um, Rick trying to get. Uh, Doyle to touch him, but that he had seen Rick crowding her space. Mm-hmm. So he he clarified to that degree that he did not see the alleged grabbing her hand and trying to put it on himself, but that he what was seen in the episode was him saying that he had seen Rick crowding her to where she couldn't get by without him moving. Yeah. Well, you know, folks out there, if you want to see how well this would go over today, do that on a plane, a bus. Oh, shit, your workplace, just anywhere. Don't don't even have them grab any part of your genitalia. Just walk around naked and show it off and get in someone's way where you cannot let them move, where you're physically blocking them. Believe me, it's a big fucking deal even if he didn't take her totally. fucking hand. Which, 100%. I'm sorry. To me, the evidence is highly credible, in, I agree. in my opinion. In my yes. fucking opinion. Okay? The so quick the question, is, how the fuck did X-Pac get scissors on the goddamn plane? <laughs> well, you know, when you reach into a wrestler's tights, they could pull out an elephant. They could pull out anything. They really are crafty individuals. So anyway, anyway, continue, Jason. So at, at any rate, um, you know, this was between the Scott Hall wanting to lick the stewardesses and then the other one uh who their first name is uh tara lynn with you know dustin runnels grabbing her and literally saying i want to fuck you uh while you know later on he's singing a country western song to his ex-wife so you know he's all over the place with women uh, and also and then, sorry jason but also terry reynolds also said um that <clears throat> in that same flight that brock lesnar just flashed her for no reason just yeah, for his own amusement. Yeah, at the, that, at the Insurrection pay-per-view locker room. Yeah, Terry Reynolds told all sorts of awful stories and had her, the advice she was always given, and I've heard this phrase more than once, was just don't sell it. Just don't sell it, you know? Mm-hmm. In, um, in wrestling terminology, that means don't, don't, don't register, don't re- react, don't register the hit. And she said if she had filed a lawsuit for every, and she was, I, don't, I didn't take this as a judgmental statement towards the stewardesses or the flight attendants, but um, just in general, like if she had filed a lawsuit for every type of awful thing that had happened to her to that degree in the wrestling business, she would still be in court to this day. And I don't doubt it, honestly. Well, I'm, and by the way, I'm not going to, this is not a defense of, of uh, Macho Man Randy Savage's paranoia with, you know, the way he was obsessive with Correct. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth, I know where you're going. Yeah. But... You know, like his brother Lanny Poffo says, he knows the boys. And he didn't want his his wife. He wanted his wife around him 
but not the boys at all because he didn't trust them with their antics, which is in the 70s and 80s is crazy. Um, I told Joe Baca a couple weeks ago, I said, listen, if it all comes out, everything that our heroes did in the 70s and 80s, and I mean all of them, uh, they'll all be canceled. They'll all be fucking canceled because it really was a different fucking time where this shit was allowed. It wasn't thought twice about and it and it's disgusting, but it's the truth. Well, I so think this, here's also where we should mention Tommy Dreamer. Yes, absolutely. So the show goes on, you know, to say that all this happened and it's just terrible. It's terrible what these flight attendants went through and it's just terrible what Vince McMahon allowed to happen on the flight whether and he was where was vince that's the question at least he was Jim at the ross we we get an idea of what he was doing and where he was but like where the fuck was vince mcmahon this whole time it was seated right next to him seated right next to jim ross yeah and the front of the plane and he was he was the one telling him go to the back and calm these fuckers down calm this down calm this down but vince is the head god of the goddamn wrestling universe and could have stood up and said Everyone sit the fuck down and we're playing the quiet game for the next seven hours. And anyone that talks is fired permanently forever and you'll be forgotten about. Guess what would have happened? That exact thing. But he didn't. So at any rate, um, he didn't want to be the bad guy that night, whatever. In the episode, Tommy Dreamer, who is a really, you know, renowned wrestler, specifically during the ECW years and his violence and blah, blah, blah. He goes on there, and this is kind of a controversy in and of itself. He is defending Ric Flair being Ric Flair as, well, that's just Ric Flair. He walks around naked, and, you know, it's not right, but it's just Rick, so it's not, you know, he's kind of like underplaying it and saying, you know, that if the the women, the, the flight attendants had that big of a problem and wanted this heinous person, and he's saying it in a very... Um, Demeaning, fa- yeah, facetious way. Um, maybe they should have uh, pursued a legal uh, investigation to the fullest criminal you know, extent of the law, yeah. criminal investigation, instead of taking the money. Like you, you fucking, you know, greedy bitches made this up to get the money. That's the inference. That's where you start to go. Well, that's what he, he sounds like. He also compared <clears throat> Doyle's story about being sexually assaulted by Ric Flair. And let's be clear, she's not. She was very clear that Ric Flair did not try to rape her. But grabbing her against her will and trying to make her touch his genitals is sexual assault. It's not rape, but it's sexual right. assault. Mm-hmm. Um, just so anyone who hasn't seen the episode is understanding the, the terminology here. So Tommy Dreamer takes that and compares it to people being offended by the fact that he has a ponytail. Like, well, people are offended by my hairstyle because I have two ponytails. People get offended by anything. Like, motherfucker, like... He came off like the biggest goddamn douche, and I don't think it was selective editing that made that happen. Okay, yeah, and see, that's the that's the controversy. But him, him, you know, even everyone pointing to the fact, like, well, it wasn't like he was going to rape her. Th- that's like saying, you know, I know he beat the fuck out of me, but I mean, he didn't want to kill me. He just wanted to beat the fuck out of me. Um, I'm sorry. What the fuck kind of? Qu- you know, qualifier is that. Like, what are you fucking talking about? So Tommy Dreamer is basically, you know, apologizing all over himself because here's the rub. Here's the fallout. When First of all, let's get back to the goddamn story. When they all departed from this 
shitty event. And they all walked off the plane, laughing, joking, drugged up, trying to get back through customs. They found needles dead. all over the plane when the, stu- when the was, flight attendants had to clean it up. There was blood all over the plane, vomit all over the plane, and syringes and drugs and spilled alcohol all over the plane. And the company they worked for was like, well, now you got to clean it up. And they're like, kiss our ass. They just wanted out of there. They felt like dirty, you know, abused. They felt horrible. They felt like, well, what they were, which was sexually harassed and intimidated by all of these fucking wrestlers. And sexually And this company. That's right. And so I think what the fallout has been is, first of all, I don't even know if Vice knew how divisive this would become with certain people. Well, before I'm sorry, Jason, before we go with to the fallout from the episode, let's talk about the fallout from the incident. Cause there wasn't much. Kurt Hennig no. was fired. Yeah. Scott Hall shortly thereafter was fired. Um, Rick Flair and Jim Ross, the, one of the most telling at moments of this, mm-hmm. of uh, all the vice episodes. One of the most telling moments was Jim Ross when when he was asked, uh, you know, he he was very clear Dustin Reynolds got fined and that that was, and he took responsibility. And said that was my decision. I had you know rain on on how to handle that because Jim Ross was head of talent relations, um, but you know Vince has final call on everything. But he he said that was my call to find Dustin and and you know kind of get him to understand and you know later seek help or whatever because of his substance issues. Um, and then he was asked specifically, why did nothing happen to Flair? And Jim Ross, without wanting to necessarily by name throw Vince McMahon like completely under the bus, but at the same time not defending it, he just said very simply, he thought about it and said, Rick was Rick was a made man. And as close as Ric Flair has been to Jim Ross over the years, you know that wasn't Jim Ross, I don't think. Because Jim Ross would have owned that, I think, if that was... You know what I mean? Like, Jim Ross seemed very disturbed by this in that moment. But, you know, also, it was the most honest telling moment in all the Vice Dark Side of the Rings I've ever seen. And because, and honestly, you know, Dave, I'm not disagreeing with you because you might be be right about that. I almost think it was a come-to-Batman moment for Jim Ross. I'm sure it was I, to a degree, I yeah. think he sat there, didn't expect the fucking question, and I, and I mean it. He's fucking... I mean, he's sharp, Jr. And I just think that he didn't expect the question. And it was almost like he was thinking, why didn't more happen to him? Yeah. And why didn't I fight for more to happen to him? Yeah, and I agree with that. And I really do. It was, you know, because he said, I'm taking ownership. It was, at the end of the day, my job to manage talent. And, it, you know, he did throw a little bit of shade at Vince. Did throw a little bit of shade at the company uh, culture. But yeah, I mean, to me, it was one of those moments. And by the way, you want to talk about heroes. Jim Ross is one of my heroes. I love Jim Ross. As far as in the wrestling universe, love him. Love him to death. And that was a moment where you could just see that he was like, yeah, that that's bad. That question really highlights maybe my fucking decisions and actions or lack thereof. And then... Two years later, of course, the flight attendants finally uh, got the WWE to pay them a settlement. Uh, I don't know what the amount was, uh, but the WWE just wanted to pay these stewardesses off. Like, 
yo, shut the fuck up. Here's some money. Go away. We've already fired the people that did these things, which they did not. They just got a couple people that I'm sure Vince already wanted out of the fucking building. And um, that was it. What's interesting is before this Vice episode on WWE Network, they have this show that they do that's an animated series of shorts where they just tell the boys' stories, the wrestlers' stories. One of the wrestlers' stories is the plane ride from hell, by the way. Uh, but there's then there's another wrestling story about Ric Flair walking the aisle naked and uh, uh, claiming that on a flight to Hawaii, six airline stewardesses wanted to see his naked you know, Chippendale routine. Okay. Um, now I remember the, the, both of these when I had the network. Um, but from what first posted on Reddit, then we all started checking it is that the story time, whatever it's called, uh, animated cartoon of Ric Flair doing that striptease naked thing has been taken off. They took that the fuck off of the WWE Network. Immediately. Immediately. Now, I don't know if the plane ride from hell one has been taken off. No one can confirm that. I don't have the fucking network anymore. Number two, Ric Flair's woo at the beginning of the sting or the intro to the WWE logo that shows before all their shows. That has been removed, both the woo and his image. Then, just a couple days ago, all Ric Flair merchandise is gone too. They've stopped selling Ric Flair merchandise at WWE, which even though he wasn't part of the company, they still sell wrestling merchandise of people that they don't have under contract at that time. They had previously announced a replica championship belt. I think it was the big gold belt, if I'm not mistaken, but it was a a Ric Flair replica championship belt that was supposed to go on pre-sale in order to be sold, I believe, in November. And they have now pulled that. So they had active plans for upcoming merch with Rick that has been scrapped. AEW was rumored to bring Flair in to manage Andrade. That is, in the very least, on hold, I believe. Um, And he was also in like a series of Car Shield commercials. Those have been pulled. Flair has denied any culpability. I don't believe him as far as I can throw him across the street. I'll quote... uh, uh, one of his close personal longtime friends, Paul Levesque, when he said in the 30 for 30 doc that Ric Flair is a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of his very best friends, folks. Okay. But let me, let me tell you that what is bizarre is sometimes I honestly think our podcast is like we're the witches of Eastwick. I, sometimes it's bizarre what we start to talk about that a week to a month later, something happens that we're, we, wow, what a bizarre occurrence of timing. And last week, for those of you who were listening to us on other platforms other than Spotify, we talked about um, our heroes and how they're just not, or at least this was my more my topic than Dave, where they just weren't aging well and they were pissing all over their legacy from their behavior or still trying to be in the spotlight. And Ric Flair was brought up by me as somebody over the last 15 years that I just kind of shook my head and were like, dude, you just should have gone fucking rode off into the sunset with Sean and Harrison Ford in Indiana three and never come back, never come back. I'm not saying go away, but your antics as what worked when you were in your thirties in your sixties is not just non it's, it's not just that you're not relevant. Okay. Anymore in that capacity, 
you come off like a shitty fucking human. It's not just your character because you live your gimmick all the time. And you come off as pathetic. And that's what I meant over those Blaine last Ride 15 years. Blaine Ride from Hell, he was in his 40s, I believe. Yeah. And I'm just shaking my head like, what the fuck? And then boom, a week later, this is what we get. And it's what I thought. No matter how great your hero is in the ring or how great his promos were or that he was the greatest of all time, nothing nothing excuses this behavior and hopefully this kind of stuff gets spotlighted in the future but this is the reason why i guess it was so striking and it was so powerful this vice episode is you got to talk to the people that were victimized or actually what or actually witnessed how insane the victimization of another human being or, or a couple human beings in specific were done by a group of massively muscled Overly drugged, insane men acting like Neander motherfucking Thals. And there's no goddamn excuse for this. None. They said even the pilot in the air could not get it under control. And where the fuck is Vince McMahon during this? Where well, the fuck also, is he? Well, also, there's, there's a couple other quick notes. First of all, Tommy Dreamer has been suspended indefinitely from Impact Wrestling where he's worked in kind of the creative department, I guess, kind of like an exec or whatever. And then he's also been kicked off, at least temporarily, of his own podcast that he had, I think, on Busted Open Radio where uh, he has been removed. So now, yeah, he's apologizing up and down if anyone was offended. I always hate that fucking choice of words, but whatever. Uh, so that's what's currently going on with him. Uh you know, Flair, we've already just kind of talked about. But uh, something else that Rob Van Dam said during the episode that I don't think has gotten enough attention is when he said, and he wasn't saying this in a good or bragging way, but he said it was very commonplace, especially during the industry at that time, for wrestlers to slip halcyon into women's drinks to then have their way with them after they were unconscious. And I think that bears uh, greater investigation than what has currently been given to it. Now, Van Dam was not saying he had done this, but he was aware of it was a thing that had happened. And he's a guy that would know, having been in the industry for as long as he had been. Um, so I find him credible with those claims. And I think that bears fruit or bears further investigation. And then also somebody else brought this up on a, I forget if it was Reddit or a forum thread or something. I really would, would love dark side of the ring. Assuming people will still talk to dark side of the ring after yeah. the fallout from this episode. <laughs> I would love dark side of the ring to do an episode on Ashley Massaro because she had alleged that on, you know, she committed suicide a couple years ago. Prior to that, when she'd been under contract at WWE, had filed a lawsuit and had alleged that during one of the Tribute to the Troops shows uh, that they had done in, I believe it was Iraq, might have been Afghanistan, one of the two, that she had been sexually assaulted by one of the military members and that Vince McMahon had pressured her to not move forward with any allegations or statements or anything because they have a good relationship with the military. I would love that to see greater light of day and Absolutely. dark side of the ring would be the perfect vehicle with which to do it. But you know, a lot of people are saying, I don't know if dark side of the ring is going to survive past this season. Cause no one's going to want to talk to them anymore. Quick question in case it doesn't have any questions about it. And then Jason, I'll let you chime in on all of this. Uh, in case anyone's wondering, Steve Austin apparently was just watching a movie the entire time. There's no mention of any shenanigans that he or Deborah, who he was still married to at that time got into. Like they completely stayed away apparently from all of that. Uh, apparently Taker slept through the entire thing or at least was not involved. The question is, um, apparently Taker's name could come up in a not so good way on the next Dark Side of the Ring, which is supposed to talk about Chris Canyon. 
um, and how he was bullied for his sexual orientation in WWF locker room and Taker may have played a role in that. I am unaware of what those stories apparently are um, in regards to Taker. So apparently there could be a reckoning coming in that direction, but time will tell. Well, what's interesting about it is, like I said, all the other dark side of the rings Honestly, in some way, deal. I mean, yeah, they're members of the story, people in the story, um, principal characters that are alive. But a lot of it's about death or people gone and we've ended the story and we're wrapping it up nicely. I mean, not Canyon so nicely, committed blah, suicide. Blah, blah, blah. Right. The issue that, they've, that they're running into in this season of Dark Side of the Ring, they are solidly pointing fingers at motherfuckers still alive. And in some of them still working. And I just think that that's where the rub is, where it's like, okay, now you've gone too far, Vice. You're you're fucking with people that were all still alive and trying to make a living here. Shut not from our perspective. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I think just that, to clarify. Yeah, no, this is not an A and E, uh, happy, happy, joy, joy, puff piece. Okay, Vice is doing the real journalism, and uh, they're they're getting. It is the dark side of the ring. A lot of shit that went on with the industry, and I'm sure all athletic industries in the past, but. They're dealing with wrestling, you know. Hey, I just want to say this real quick, guys. Uh, if you want to chime in on any of this as you normally do, you know where you can reach us, but I'm, I'm just going to say it so you guys know uh, even more so, okay? You can reach us at this little known, brand new, wonderful email known as askdaveandjason at protonmail.com because, well, god damn it. Fuck you, Dr. Cosby. I'd also yep. like to say uh, two things real quick, because we got to go. We're over long here on this goddamn thing. But let's end it on a happy note. I want to say something that uh, AEW is doing fantastic fucking shit out there. And if you're not watching AEW, you need to watch AEW. But they are going, they have uh, basically come into partnership with the uh, Owen Hart Foundation. Martha Hart, his widow, is the is the worker and the uh, president of this uh, wonderful foundation that provides scholarships and uh, monies to unfortunate people in many situations out there. And AEW is going to bring his legacy even further back into light by having the Owen Cup with the Owen Hart Cup, and you get to win the Owen. We don't really know the specifics of it yet. And it's a also, tournament of some sort. A tournament of some sort. And also, you're going to be able to play as Owen Hart in future video games that AEW produces, and also action figures, merchandise, the whole deal. And uh, I just think that's a wonderful thing for AEW to do. And you know, Martha Hart has been uh, very... and absolutely understandably venomous towards the WWE. And so we never had this opportunity as fans to get a lot more of anything uh, from Owen Hart other than, you know, the tributes, the documentaries and things of that, that have been done on him, but to have him in a real world right now way that AEW is going to spotlight him is going to be fantastic. So I want to say that's awesome. And that's something to look out for. And then also, um, Tonight, there was a match on AEW's uh, classic AEW wonderful Grand Slam in New York City that they played. It was Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega. 
and it went 30 minutes. It was a 30-minute uh, Broadway, or it was a draw, I guess. Uh, and uh, it was Spoilers, fucking... Jason. It was... No, I'm going to tell him because it's not a spoiler. It's fucking fantastic. It is fucking fan-goddamn-tastic to see Brian Danielson back in the ring doing what he loves, professional wrestling, not a bunch of Vince McMahon superstar bullshittery, and uh, the audience is just out of goddamn control. It, g- it gave me such goosebumps. I probably watched it three times. I am so fucking happy with what AEW is doing. Please, if you're not watching, please, please, please watch it. It is pro wrestling dreams are coming true right now. And uh, I loved every single minute of it. And just for all the shit we talked bad in this episode, and there was a lot of it, I want to end on a high note. And please, wherever you can, the cheapest, easiest way is YouTube. Check out AEW, Brian Danielson's comeback versus Kenny Omega. Because even though I just told you the result doesn't fucking matter, the goddamn match is fucking fantastic the audience reception is fantastic everyone's marking out and you're watching what a real pro wrestling company can do you're not watching wwe bullshit it's just so refreshing and so energetic and so exciting to see this happening again and on that note i am dave Beaudry, and i am still your jason bailey The Vanilla Godzilla. I don't know how to say that in Mandarin, but we are one day closer to dead, and that day is not and will not be today, so we will be back in one way or another next week.